Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. The One Fab Day Wedding Podcast. Welcome back to the One Fab Day Wedding Podcast, the show that arms you with all the knowledge you need to plan your wedding your way. Today we're going deep on a wedding planning topic almost every couple tell us is their top priority, the food and the drinks. I'll grab a snack now because I have a feeling today's chat will make for hungry listening. For some, planning your wedding menu can be as simple as choosing beef or salmon, but for most modern couples, it's all about curating a beautiful standout menu navigating individual dietary requirements and working out if you've got enough wine to get your guests sufficiently tipsy. Thankfully, we'll be joined by an expert who's well-versed in wedding catering and will be on hand to answer all of our food-related quandaries. Claire, what's the best and worst food you've had at a wedding? I had the best vegetarian sausage, vegan sausage of my life that I still think about often. I also had that sausage and I'm not vegan or vegetarian. It was so good. And I still think about it. It was like it was dipped in treacle. Yeah, it was sweet and savoury. It was all the good stuff. It's magic. And worst? Worst. I don't think I've ever had bad ones. I more think of those, you know, those like kidney dishes with the sad carrots. Like those kind yes. of things. Yeah. Um, or a few times I've been forgotten as the vegetarian and... Yeah, I just have had like a sad, maybe like slice of melon or something. Yeah, I was uh, at a hotel restaurant with a vegetarian friend before and her main was a tomato stuffed with tomatoes. <laughs> That's so grim. <laughs> and she had to be like, could I have like some chips or something? Yeah. There yeah. was one wedding where my main was put down. It was kind of sharing style and there was a vegetarian main put down. But I wasn't told it was the vegetarian main. I just thought it was another side. And so everyone had essentially what was supposed to be my main. So I didn't get that much to eat. Yeah. But that was my bad as well for not paying attention. Well, I should have been clear. Maybe, yeah. Um, I think my experiences are coloured by the fact that I have intolerances. So it varies so much. Like, so I've been to loads of weddings lately where I have been like absolutely blown away and I actually don't understand how they can cater so well to my yes. weird intolerances. And I'm like, you're all very impressive. And then there was the time I had an argument with the chef about a vegan cheese board, which was just a block of cheese on a plate. <laughs> I love that story. It's a story for another day. But um, yeah, we're going to be getting into all the things you need to know about wedding food 
and drink, catering, staff, should you have an open bar? All these questions. Yes, it's going to be a good one. One fab day expert wedding tips. There's no point in us having all this know-how in weddings and not sharing the love, which is why each week we dig deep and find a handy tip to share that might make your day run flawlessly. Selena, you've got today's tip and I hear it's got something to do with cake. It does. I had to get some sweet references in on our special food episode because I have the world's most intense sweet tooth. Um, This is not about the flavor of the sweets, though. It's about the decoration of the cake. So I see it a lot in weddings where there's just too much going on in the cake. Mm. Um, So my tip this week is less is more when it comes to the cake decoration. Now, probably your baker will have some kind of design in mind and you'll work with them to figure out, you know, what's going to be used to accent the cake whether it's fresh flowers or um, something edible so what I would say is if you have a cake topper love a cake topper Mm. ask your baker to maybe keep the decorations on the top of the cake minimal because I see a lot of cake topper and decoration fighting for attention and you can't really see either yes Um, and a lot of bakers um, will ask you are you having a cake topper but if they don't I think it's a good idea to have a chat and just say, listen, I'm my because often couples, they'll have a friend who like crochet a tiny version of them and it'll mm. be really sweet and personal and it'll be like some lovely detail the couple really want to come across and they don't want it to be wasted. So that's my tip this week is to just think about that and the decoration of where it'll be placed on the cake. You can always drop in your cake topper to your baker yeah. the week before your wedding and they can place it and that way they'll design the rest of the decoration around it. But I think it's worth yeah having that chat because some bakers will have gone to great lengths to yeah. create like a stunning sugar flower at the top and you don't want to wreck that with maybe like your initials in acrylic or whatever if that's going to just take away from the nice flower that they've made. Absolutely. And on that note, if you are going for your initials in acrylic or one of those kind of cake toppers, try to get one with a long stem. Mm. Because I see a lot, again, in real weddings of, um, it's clearly the stem wasn't long enough on the cake topper and it's been shoved right into the cake. And again, it's not really visible to people wandering around. And if you've gone to the effort of having someone (laughs) personally laser cut your initials (laughs) out of acrylic, you know, you want your guests to see it and to be able to tell what's going on there. Yes, I feel like the people who make those cake toppers underestimate how much icing goes onto a wedding cake. Yeah, I'm like, have those people not eaten cake before? Yes. Cakes are very tall and dense and you need a long stem. The One Fab Day Wedding Podcast. For today's main topic, we're talking wedding food. Together with the venue hire, this element of the day tends to represent about 50% of your wedding budget. And yet it's an area that couples sometimes feel unqualified to ask questions about or even find they've got little control over. You'll probably get to know your florist or your photographer ahead of your wedding day, for example. But you don't always meet the person who preps the menu and cooks the dinner. But today, that's about to change as we're joined in the studio by Andrew Rudd of Medley. Andrew is a private chef and food writer. You may recognise him as a regular in the kitchen on Ireland AM. He released his own cookbook in 2014 and among his many claims to fame, he catered Leo Vradker's 40th birthday party. His catering and events company, Medley, have their own buzzing venue on Fleet Street in Dublin and now look after the weddings and events at the beautiful Ballantubert House and Gardens in Stradbally, County Leash. He has served up thousands of dishes at hundreds of weddings, so we're certainly in safe hands. So welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Um, So I guess our first question would be, how does the food dictate the vibe and feel of a wedding? 
Do you know what? It's really interesting. It depends on the vibe. Like, are we going for a city centre vibe or are we going for a country vibe? I tend to find that for the country vibe, people are much more relaxed. Uh, they want more of a sort of sharing menus. Whereas city centre, um, where we have medley, uh, it's very much kind of formality and a la carte um, and convention and tradition. Uh, whereas in the country, it's kind of carte blanche. It's really like, you know, what they're looking for is something very, very different. And the great thing about the country, and particularly a lot of venues that are around the country, is that there's a lot of local produce. In Dublin, we can't really find local produce because I'm relying very heavily on my main suppliers, you know, the kind of the, the big three, the big four suppliers. And sometimes you don't have a, a huge idea of where that's coming from. Now, it's all Irish produce. Whereas in County Leash, 95% of what I use is sourced within 10 mile radius of, of the venue. So I'll sit down with a wedding couple and we'll actually build from the ground up. I will, you know, try and get a feel for what their vibe is, what they're looking for, and what their objectives are. And we can try and kind of influence their decisions based on menu choices, based on local produce. So I think that really kind of defines the menu. I would have thought it was almost the other way around as in because the country weddings are so tend to be bigger and the city weddings are a bit smaller, I would have thought city weddings were a bit more like yeah, cool well, and Yeah, uh, my definition of a country wedding is different to maybe your definition. So just mm-hmm. to kind of, I suppose, to, to preface that, I, you know, my frame of reference really are the two venues that I run. So mm. one which is in the city centre, uh, Medley, and then one which is in the country, which is Ballantorbert. So my frame of reference really is based on my experience of those two venues. Now, having said that, there are a lot of hotels in the country um, who would have a very, very different offering to what yes. we have in a country house. Yeah. A country house, yeah. you know, tends to be more expensive because you have to take exclusive hire of mm. the entire venue. And that determines, I suppose, the price per head will go up. Yeah, so everything um, becomes a bit more bespoke. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I'm not saying it's out of reach for people. It's not out of reach, you know, but it's a completely different offering. I mean, you mm-hmm. can go to a hotel down the country and get an amazing wedding um, and the price point, you know, could be 45, 50, 55 a head. Yeah. I can't even do the food at that, let alone mm. the reception drinks, the Prosecco on arrival, the evening food, the wedding cake. So it really depends on people's overall budgets as well. Um, and the other thing to consider is that mainly like in a country wedding where you have a venue which is bespoke for that couple and it's only them there um, they'll tend to put a bit more into it Mm. in terms of the financial resource but they can allocate the resources differently by way of not having a big band. I mean, a lot of the weddings we've done in Ballantorbert, they haven't necessarily always had a band. Yeah. We've had, I mean, two or three weddings last year. It was DJ set, and it was amazing. It was really amazing, a completely different vibe, but it cuts your price considerably. Mm-hmm. So you can actually reallocate the budget. And if a couple, you know, is listening to this and they're like, food is so important to us. We're real foodies. We want an amazing meal. And they are going to look at maybe 15 venues. Do you have any tips for them on, you know, how to tell that food is a top priority for the venue? Well, I have to say, and again, it comes down to my frame of reference and experience, but most wedding venues would have, you know, a very high priority when it comes to food. They really would. Um, but it does come down to price point. It always comes down to price point. You can't expect to have a Michelin star menu or, you know, choice of menus when you're paying 30, 40, 50 ahead for food. You just mm-hmm. can't expect yeah. it because food is very expensive to produce. Um, and, you know, that will very much dictate the overall price. And like, uh, for instance, like we do, um, let's say, normally a, ch- a set starter and we do a choice of two main courses. And that would be pretty typical across the country. 
But when we're doing a kind of a choice of two main courses, we would always have, let's say, fillet of cod or fillet of hake, and we'd have a selection of different sauces that they can choose from. And then we'd have ribeye beef, because ribeye is a good, happy medium in terms of, you know, consistency. We were doing 8 ounce last year. We're doing 10 ounce this year. My 10 ounce is costing me nine twenty per steak. Mm. That puts things into context, you know. So that will define what your overall price. So you have your nine twenty for your steak. Now, this is 32-day aged, you know, ribeye that I buy from my supplier. You then have to process that steak, okay? So it comes into the kitchen. You then have to you have to season it. You have to salt it. You have to bring it back down to temperatures. We have a blast chill. So all of the catering that we do, and it would be the same at most hotels and most venues around the country, they will sear their meat or their fish beforehand into a blast chill, bring it down to, say, minus three, and it goes into the cold room. And that makes it really safe. And it means on the day of the wedding comes out of the fridge, bring it to room temperature, and then it goes into the oven. So in this instance for steak, it goes into the oven at 220 degrees, eight minutes. It's an exact science, and it's ready for medium. So that really determines your overall price. Now, so if that's like between eight and 10 euro for your individual steak, work out the labor on top of that. Yeah. Work out your starter, your canapes, Before your Before you've desserts. added a potato to the plate. Completely, <laughs> yeah. completely. Potatoes are cheap, but that's labor. So I yeah. have, I have, you know, one chef or kitchen porter or sort of an, assess, an assistant in the kitchen um, who has to physically peel the potatoes, boil the potatoes, rice the potatoes, season the potatoes. For 180, 200, 300 people, you wouldn't think there's a lot of work. There's a massive amount of work in that, just in the potatoes. So I think sometimes people don't have a concept of how much food is to produce. Um, And there are venues, you know, that buy everything pre-packed. You know, not necessarily potatoes. Potatoes are generally, they come, you know, kind of already kind of peeled Mm. and ready to go. But veg, for instance, sometimes venues will use frozen veg. And that's fine because frozen veg is grand. But you don't have the same costs involved Mm. of producing it from scratch. And another, for instance, you know, I have a local um, uh, organic um, veg producer down in Port Leash. And literally, he arrives on the morning of the wedding with my veg, which we decided the day before, I'll ring him, John Egan, I'll ring him on the way down from Dublin and say, listen, what do you have in season tomorrow? And he'll tell me and he will harvest it the morning of the wedding and bring it to me. Wow. Now, the cost of that veg is three times more than it would cost me normally of from course. the supplier. Yeah. So that adds cost, but it's, it's, it's extraordinary. So one of the weddings I did last year, we did an evening meal the night before because they came the night before and I did an Irish stew and they said, this is amazing. And I did caramelized carrots with star anise and I did whole carrots with the stem on it. And she said, oh my God, Andrew, can we have that for the wedding tomorrow? So we had 190 for the wedding versus 16 for dinner the night mm. before. So I rang John. I said, John, can you get me 420 <laughs> carrots, whole carrots? Yep. They were delivered at nine o'clock the following morning, full of muck. Wow. So that puts into context the, co- the cost yeah, of food. Yeah, we're always trying to hammer home. There's a reason why weddings are expensive and it's not just because someone's added a bunch of zeros. It's because of the level of service and the quality that comes yeah, into it. And, th- and this comes back even, and you're right in what you're saying, the quality of service, right? So food will fall flat on its face if the service is not good. Mm. So you have to have professionalism. You have to have people that know what they're doing. So when you're serving a table, so you'd have in the past, you'd have like table one, which is generally the, the top table. Um, now, you normally don't get a practice run out of it because you have to serve the top table first. It would be nice to be able to serve tables three, four, six and eight first. So you have a full practice run with all your staff to make mm-hmm. sure they're not going to make mistakes. But we start with table one. So what we do is we do a dress rehearsal for an hour before every single wedding. We use a, an agency for our front of house staff. And that would be the case for a lot of private venues, not necessarily hotels, but hotels or other venues, they might not necessarily know who the staff are that are coming in the following day. So we have to do a run through. And if you don't get the level of service, 
all of a sudden at a very early stage of the meal people will start complaining not necessarily the bride and groom because they want all of their guests to be happy but people will start complaining yeah and you don't want that on a day of a wedding so again you have to pay for really good staff as well yeah which is really important and when a couple is viewing a venue are there any alarm bells they should be looking for when they're viewing a venue go into the loos yeah. See how clean and tidy the loos are. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a good reflection. That's a good reflection. Yeah. Smells, you know. Um, not only in the loos, but I, again, it's something that, you know, a lot of restaurants and venues would do. They would sear or seal their, their meat the day before, particularly fish, because fish will smell a little bit when you're frying it off. What you don't want is a kind of a function room smelling a fish. Yes. Because generally speaking, the kitchen would be adjacent to the function room. So again, little things like that, cleanliness, you know, dirt, um, and just, you know, the general quality of of the staff if it's a hotel go in and have some lunch you know mm. before you make your decision see how good the service is because the service in the in the restaurant which is not the function hall should reflect the quality of service yeah. in the hotel as well um, so that's something to consider look at um, look online at reviews TripAdvisor maybe even get some real weddings that have happened at the location and see whether you can get a name or two from the venue and call them or email them if a venue turns around and says sorry we can't divulge that uh, I, I I don't I don't go along with that because you know if a venue is happy to share any testimonial they'll share mm. the information with you. All they need to do is ring the couple that got married last year and, and say, "Listen, would you mind? I've got another inquiry for this year. Do you mind awfully if they emailed you or rang you just to to give you a little bit of kind of peace of mind that mm. we did a really good job?" So that's something else to consider. Yeah. Yeah, in theory, they should be able to find one couple who are willing to <laughs> yeah, testify. I mean, like, if if you are specifically a wedding venue you know a lot of specifically wedding venues who only really do weddings mm. could be doing up to 150 weddings a year mm. so you've got a pool of 150 people there to choose from and yeah. just pick them randomly but a lot of hotels and venues will actually have a lot of testimonials up online mm. but you want to make sure they're real as well <laughs> because yeah. testimonials can be yeah. made up we could all write something stick it up <laughs> on a website yeah. Um, and for couples then who have booked a venue and they need and the venue doesn't cater, so they need to hire private caterers, outside caterers. What would you say they should be looking out for? Well, I, I think longevity. How long have they been in business for? Yeah, you know, definitely. What kind of events they do? Outside catering is very different to restaurant catering. Mm. Okay, it's the difference between being a, a doctor and a lawyer. It's a different function. It's a different rationale. You know, in a restaurant, you're cooking for two people, four people, six people, eight people, and it's 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 constant and it's 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 very full on. In a wedding, it's banqueting. Okay, so it's a it's a different animal altogether. Some would argue that in a restaurant, it's actually more difficult. It can be more difficult, whereas banqueting, you should in theory have far more consistency. So you want to make sure that the caterer, um, and this would be in what they call a kind of a, a, a venue, which is open for it's like a dry it's a dry venue a dry hire venue where you bring in your cups your saucers your yeah. plates your cutlery now the thing to bear in mind here is that that adds a lot of cost as yeah. well you know if there's a venue that does weddings that has their own caterers they'll have their own equipment so you don't have that cost it's built into your overall pricing mm. so i mean i used to do a lot of marquee weddings and a marquee could cost between five and ten grand if you're doing a wedding for 200 people ovens plates saucers cups glass will cost five and a half thousand minimum minimum yeah. to actually build a kitchen a caterer can't build that into their cost so you want to basically have reassurance that they've done this before and once again ask them for some people to give testimonials you know 
Um, that's really important. And have a look at the menus. You can tell people can download menus and can produce really fancy menus that look really well on paper, but can that convert into delivering an amazing meal? Yeah. So you want to consider that as well. And to be honest, it's just being practical about it. You know, people know when they're being fooled. Yeah. And fortunately, anybody, you know, any of the caterers or catering companies that are out there, you know, that do a bad job inconsistently, they don't last very long. So if they've been in business for a while, you can be sure that they do a really good job. Yeah, we do tend to see the same ones come up again and again over years. And that's something to bear in mind. You know, just be practical about it. I guess this applies to both venues with catering or having private caterers come in. Is there a ratio of service staff to guests that you should be looking for? Well, traditionally, I think it's like one to 15. Okay. But what you don't want to do is overload the place with staff either who are standing around looking as if they've got nothing to do. So what I tend to do is I tend to break it down into kitchen staff. Mm. And that kitchen staff will maintain themselves. They know what needs to be done. You've then got front of house staff who do the service. They serve the tables and look after wine. And then you've got the bar staff. Bar staff, you don't need to have too many bar staff on until the party starts at maybe 8 o'clock. But generally, if I have a wedding for, let's call it 100 people, I'll have a manager and four waiters or Mm. waitresses. Um, and that tends to be about right. So that's like, I suppose, one to 25. Mm. You don't actually need any more than that because you could only serve one table at a time. Mm. So the kitchen will only plate up one table at a time. If a kitchen is plating up two or three tables at a time, um, it just, it, it, it's not going to be, it's possible, of course it's possible, but you're going to have staff, you know, there for, let's say, an hour during service and then they've got nothing to do. And that's, a, that's not cost effective for a business. So a business like mine, if I have, you know, a, a ratio of 1 to 15 or 1 to 10, that's not cost effective for me. Mm. And that means I'm not going to be in business in 12 months time because yeah. my biggest cost is labor. So, again, this possibly is another telltale sign. If somebody tells you, yes, we've got a staff ratio of 1 to 10, mm, question that. Because if a business is, is sustainable, um, it won't be sustainable at that level. And in terms of the tasting then, because I know if, let's say, the venue has a restaurant, obviously the couple can maybe try the food beforehand. Generally, if it doesn't, they're probably going to have the tasting after they book. How can couples make the most of their tasting? This is the bane of my life. (laughs) It really is the bane of my life. And I suppose I'm I'm to blame for that because what I do is when I sit down with couples, um, I open up Pandora's box and I'll say, yes, you can have this and you can have that purely because I don't want to give them, you know, menu A, B and C. Mm, You know, I want to give them an opportunity to really um, showcase their own desires, their own preferences. And I'm going to have to change that strategy slightly because it creates a lot of work for me, which I'm very, very happy to do. I've got two tastings tomorrow uh, and I've got six next Saturday. So what we try to do is we try to have back to back tastings. Um, we've got one vegetarian wedding, which is great. And it's nice to be able to be creative because I don't like just doing a risotto. I like to be creative. And what I tend to suggest is that the wedding couples come back to me with what they feel they would like. I'm not a vegetarian, so I'm not the right person to ask. I can come up with options, but I want the wedding couples to be really happy with what they've selected. Um, so I have a, a tasting in a few weeks' time. Um, so we're doing five vegetarian options for them to pick two. And I'm doing two meat options for them to pick one. They're bringing a friend with them to taste the meat. But we're doing 12 dishes that day. No other venue would do that. And I don't really want to ever do it again. (laughs) But that was my mistake. Um, But I think it's important at a very early stage to find out preferences. Mm. What people like, tastes, desires. 
uh, fantasies when it comes to food as well because it's really important there's three things in a wedding as far as I'm concerned that guests go away with it's you know how beautiful the bride looks and that let's take that for granted that the bride is going to look absolutely beautiful um, how the food is and what the entertainment is like it's pretty much as simple as that so the yeah. food is really important it's a really important thing and, and any couples that I ever meet food is the priority motivation yeah definitely we hear that a lot from couples um that that's it, their number one. And yeah. it's definitely increasing more and, and I more. think I think we need to up the game there. A lot of people very often ask me, we've never had a tasting that hasn't gone well. They're like, wow, we actually, we love it. But how can you replicate that for 200 people, 300 people? Yeah. It's actually easy because food is a bit of an exact science. It comes down to the prep and the work you do in advance of the wedding. So you make sure you have your production team in the kitchen. You make sure they know what the intolerances are, the allergies are. So I work very closely with my head chef. So as soon as we've had a tasting, when I'm meeting anybody, I put notes straight into our CRM system, which is like an online system, which is dedicated to that person. And I will redesign the menu based on the conversation that we've had. So this is what I will do tomorrow. I will literally have the menu that we've discussed. And as we're having the tasting, I'll take notes and that will be given straight to my head chef. It goes onto the file. And then the week before the wedding, we have a, a meeting, a management meeting, which is our sales manager and myself and our event staff and our kitchen staff. And we give them a breakdown of exactly what the menus are with the intolerances, with the allergies, um, with the preferences, where people are located as well. So we'll have a table plan. So I, you know, it's nice to know where we have a vegan located. Talking about vegans, I did a wedding not that long ago and we had five vegans. So I said, the best thing to do is for us to set up a WhatsApp group. So I said to the bride and groom, let's set up a WhatsApp group. And they said, oh, don't worry about the vegans. I said, no, 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 let's, let's, set, let's set it up. Uh, and, no, do and, worry about the vegans. No, because it's important that everybody, you know, feels yeah, that they've no, had a really I totally good meal. agree. So anyway, <laughs> we proceeded to set up a WhatsApp group. This took about six months and hundreds of texts later. Canapes, starters, main course and dessert. OK, so uh, it, was, it was basically we redesigned the whole menu. I was doing the pass in the kitchen that day and I was like, okay, table one, we've got three beef and we've got two fish and three vegetarian, one vegan. Grand. And I got to like table 15 grand. I was like, well done guys, round of applause in the kitchen. You've done really well. And then I noticed there's four vegan dishes left over. And I'm like, lads, where are the vegan dishes gone? Oh, sorry, four of them decided to have beef. I was like, really? And I literally had to go outside and just like calm down. I was like furious because we put so much work into it, Mm. like so much work. So that was a flippant um, vegan. Now it's very rare. It was a (laughs) January vegan. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of annoying. And, you know, for people that are listening, please take that into account because it makes our jobs really difficult. Mm -hmm. And we do try and we try really hard and we want to make sure that everybody without exception really enjoys the meal. But kind of like, you know. Please. You're breaking a lot of people's hearts if yeah. you're um, a flip-flopper in terms of your yeah, dietary and, and, requirements. And I, I didn't tell the bride and groom because they would have been furious because they yeah. dismissed it on day one. They said, Andrew, don't be silly. But I said, no, 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 I insist on it. So that's the one thing that's really annoying. You know, mm. um, it's the kind of the fair weather eaters, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's not really a dietary requirement. It's just something they've read about five yeah. minutes ago before they RSVP. I, I, I must preface that by saying, listen, this is very rare that that happens. Mm-hmm. It's really rare. I mean, most of the time, intolerances and allergies, it's really important to take them into account. Like if we have somebody that's allergic to fructose and lactose, and we do, we, we really try hard to make sure that they're catered for. But if it's somebody that just feels that, oh, do you know what? Actually, I'm just going through a phase at the moment, going to the gym. I think I might be a vegan for a little while, which is absolutely fine. 
Yeah. But please have the vegan meal. Yeah. Because we go to a lot of effort to make it. Yeah, because <laughs> I've been on the other side where the vegetarian meal was an afterthought and that's not nice either. So if someone's put a lot of work and effort into agreed, it. Agreed, agreed. And, and this is what we try to do and this is why particularly for this um, vegetarian wedding that are coming up. Lovely couple. But I, I, I just kind of got the sense that they weren't absolutely happy with my cho- with my recommendations. So I have another head chef that's going to be working with me in, in Ballantarbert and he came up with some really nice ve- uh, vegetarian options. So I've emailed that to the couple and they love them. Mm. So that makes me happy that they're now fully bought into it. Because yeah. what I don't want is for a wedding couple just to be, ah, mm, yeah, that's fine. I want them to be like really enthusiastic yeah. about it. And I think that's something to recommend to any of the listeners out there is that you, it, this is about you. You're spending a lot of money. You need to be absolutely 100% behind the menu and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You know, yeah, it's your you wedding, it's your day. Yeah, you want to be excited about it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You want to be going into the day really looking forward to it. But mainly because you want your guests to be really happy. That's yeah. the main motivation for any wedding couple is that their guests are having a really good day because so many people get married all the time and it's not about up one-manship and making sure you do a better job than somebody else. You just want your friends to have a really good day. Mm. Which actually leads us on to our next question which was the most popular one we received from our listeners which was should a couple go with their own tastes it, whether that's something a bit different or should they play it safe and opt for crowd pleasers? You have to play it safe. You really do. It's like you know when you're selling your house you know, the recommendation is paint it white. You mm. know, don't use your magentas and your other colours. Uh, play it safe. Now, what I do with wedding couples, if they specifically like lamb. So lamb is, I love lamb, right? But it's not a crowd pleaser. Mm. You know, very few people will instinctively order lamb on a menu if they're going to a restaurant. So I recommend not putting lamb onto a menu. Now, wedding couples, for large weddings, they'll say, well, we know our friends. And, and that's fine. But you don't know your friend's requirements if there's 200 or 300 friends you know you really don't know so my recommendation is play it safe and what I do is I take a little note when I'm talking to wedding couples and this was an example of what we did recently we had this was a wedding uh, that was we had actually about three weeks ago Um, the menu was finalized about 12 months ago but one of my notes on my little kind of note page was that the dad really likes t-bone steak and they just dismissed it oh don't be silly don't do it for him so I had some t-bone steak so as we served the main uh, the main table table number one that was grand he got a ribeye steak and all the veg was delivered out onto the tables and then I brought um, a lovely board which was garnished with a big t-bone steak it was a 40 ounce t-bone steak brought it to the table and they were just blown away so little things like that. So what you can do is you can take that into account and you can discuss it with the bride and groom if you want as well and say, listen, that you can actually have something a little bit more on the table. So if they like lamb, serve them their, their fish or your beef and then bring some lamb onto the table, onto the top table as well. And that's one way of dealing with that. But you have to really take the overall crowd into account as well. Yeah, I think there's so much of the rhetoric of like your day, do it your way kind of thing, which is fine, but like... 100 or 200 people need to eat. Do you know what? I'd say about 95% of the couples that I meet, their main motivation is their guests, mm. actually. You know? Yeah. I've had one couple recently and they just didn't give a damn about the guests. They're like, this is our wedding. This is what we're going to have. And they were vegetarian and they said, we're having a vegetarian menu. And I said, well, that's fine, um, but it's kind of not really fair on the rest of the guests. We don't care. And I said, fine. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of not fair. Yeah. And, and particularly not younger people, right? Because younger people, they'll enjoy it anyway. Yeah. Older people. Older people have a preconceived idea of what a wedding menu is going to be, right? So if, it, if it's outside the norm, 
um, they're not going to enjoy it. They really are not going to enjoy them it. Out. Yeah, and 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 this happens. And I did one one wedding. I did warn the couple. I said, listen, you know, the one thing that's really important. And I'm not being ageist. You know, I'm I'm being reasonable and practical here. Um, you know, anybody you know under the age of I'm not even going to give an age because that's unfair. <laughs> but but older people they 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 enjoy going to a wedding. They enjoy the crack and. You know um, the kind of the, the the mingling and the networking and meeting old friends, and the meal is a really important part of that. And if the meal is outside of the norm, they're going to be a little bit kind of disappointed. Mm. Um, we did a cocktail party wedding during the year where we didn't have a sit down meal, but the bride and groom thankfully took my advice, and we had um, a sit down meal for the grandparents, and we did a kind of a mammy's oh, dinner. Nice. So we did a Yorkshire pudding and beef and roast potatoes, and they sat down for two hours and had their own meal. Whereas nice. the younger crowd were just partying. And that's a nice kind of compromise mm. as well. Mm. I do agree with you in that food is something that can really stress people out if they're going to an event. Like if I go to an event and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to eat anything, I'm of course not going to be enjoying myself. Like you want people to feel like I'll be looked after because hangry guests at a wedding <laughs> is a recipe for disaster. It, it is. And that's that's actually a really good point. Um, because again, you know, we had a wedding not that long ago I don't like doing speeches between courses because with the best will in the world, speech is always overrun. Mm. And to be honest, if we're all completely honest with ourselves, guests don't actually really enjoy speeches, particularly if they go on longer than 10 minutes. Mm. They just like, oh God, how long is this going to be? We just want our food. You know, we've been hanging around for two or three hours. We've decided not to have lunch because the wedding service was at two o'clock or 2.30 or three. Then we have canopies and drinks reception. By the time you're seated at seven, eight o'clock, People do get angry and people do get frustrated and fed up. Um, and they had one of the weddings we had, again, they wanted to have the speeches between the main, between the starter and the mains. And this was like two and a half hours after they'd got there. And I said, please don't, please don't, please don't. And they insisted on it. They said the speeches, there's four of us speaking, each person will be five minutes. It was an hour and 20 minutes and we're still in the middle of speeches. How do you plan the food then? It, I don't put the food into the oven. I don't, you know. No, the, you couldn't. No, you can't. I mean, the, the veg is going to be overcooked because, yeah. but the meat never goes in until I know people are seated because it only takes eight minutes or so. Yeah. So I don't start that so it won't be spoiled. But I had one lady and she was getting more and more polluted because she was just bored and she just kept drinking, drinking, drinking. Yeah. She punched one of my waiters in the <gasps> stomach, right? And said, where's my effing food? And he said, excuse me, madam, but they're in the middle of speeches. And then she started making a commotion and she started getting louder and louder and oh. louder. The father and the bride had to come and take her, bring her outside. And that's an extreme, but it happens. It abs- absolutely happens. Yeah. You have to be really careful. And, you know, she put up a post on TripAdvisor complaining that Medley was, you know, not up to scratch and the food was delayed. But we couldn't serve the food because the speeches were on. Yeah. And it took me about three weeks to get her to take it down from TripAdvisor because it was in the most appalling review like most appalling review and the wedding couple had to actually step in and ask her to take it down so that's one thing because it it does impact on the venue if things like Mm. that happen so it's really important when you're planning your wedding just to make sure you kind of don't have speeches between courses yeah because they always overrun. They always overrun. I find the best time to have speeches is during the drinks reception mm, because people yeah. are really relaxed. They're all standing and it's just really chilled. Yeah. And it means that if you're not a public speaker and you're just, you know, you're not really looking forward to it, you can get out of the way. And speaking of timings there, uh, someone did ask us, is there like an ideal time for dinner to be served? Okay. What I recommend is you work back from when the night closes. Okay. So let's assume the bar shuts at half one. 
So you've got a DJ from 11.30 to half one. You, bands generally only play for two hours, so that'll be half um, half nine to half 11. Um, and then normally, um, let's say half eight to half nine is a kind of like, you know, um, chatting, catching up after dinner. Dinner really wants to be finished by half seven, eight. Dinner maximum two hours. That brings you to six. You want to be seated by quarter six. Right. At the very latest, at the very latest. So that's the easiest way of working back. So you give yourself about two hours for dinner. Yeah. And what we do actually immediately after dinner, because the space where we have our dining room is the same space that they use for the after party. So I need to get people off the tables and Mm. I need to clear the space. The band needs to set up. Bands generally take between a half an hour and 45 minutes to set up. So they kind of need to be there at eight in order to start at nine. So we move people downstairs immediately after the main course and we do a dessert bar. Oh, cool. And we do that in Ballantubert as well. So we bring people outside and we have a dessert bar outside with espresso martinis and cocktails and desserts. And then we clear all the tables, (laughs) band set up, and then we're ready to party. People want to party at that stage. Yeah, Yeah. they're ready for it. They're ready for it. So, yeah, you know, so I think you need to be seated by about six, half five, six. And I think that prevents the sluggishness of sitting after a meal and then eating your dessert. Yeah, the timing is always really important. Military precision. And the venue will look after that for you. You don't have to worry about it yourself. And I do get brides and grooms that ask me, well, who's going to do this and who's going to do that and what time? I said, it'll happen very organically. We have an event sheet, so it's military precision. Mm -hmm. So we have a briefing before the event, before the party, and we know exactly what's happening. I remember my mother-in-law coming up to me at our wedding at dessert being like, there's going to be an awful lull now. And I was like, no, there won't. We planned this. But yeah, yeah. it's that worry that there's going to be a... And it's interesting that you say that. It's, it, it is mothers that have this concern because mothers yeah. don't want there to be a lull. They want their daughter's or their son's day to be a really good day. And the timing is really important. Yeah. Like really important. So again, if you can get that right, you can get everything else right. Yeah. Everything else will fall into place. Yeah. And we have seen um, an increase in informal, well, informal weddings overall, but informal dining. And so how does that work? Is that better or worse from your perspective in terms of everyone having enough to eat and it being evenly distributed, say if they're sharing platters and things like that? Yeah, I've never, never really had a problem, to be honest. Um, You know, if we're doing a full a la carte formal, you know, let's say it's it's a set menu, we'll give them, you know, their starters will come out pretty quickly after we've taken the orders. We clear the starters. The, um, the mains are served pretty much straight away for, you know, a full a la carte. Even if it's a sharing mains, what we tend to do is we have, let's say, um, marinated pork loin in buttermilk with herbs and garlic. We slice that. It goes onto a big serving board into the middle of the table. We might have like a big um, bone-in ribeye, you know, joint, which we scarb put onto the table. So that would be the sharing. So people help themselves. The veg comes. We top up the veg. So unlike, you know, the 1980s where they come, across, come around with a kind of a stainless steel container full yeah. of mashed potatoes and an ice cream scoop <laughs> yes. onto the table, we actually have these beautiful ceramic bowls, you know, with serving spoons, with, you know, whether it's new potatoes or roasties, and we just keep filling them up. If we see one is, is, is emptying, we just fill it up again. Um, so, yeah, yeah. You just make sure everyone gets enough to eat. <laughs> yeah, and, and there generally is, I mean, people ask me all the time how many canopies per head. Yeah. Don't worry about it, we just keep going. Like okay. I don't, I don't work it out that you know it's X number of canopies per person. It's also finding the balance. You don't want to overfeed people either because yeah. they want to look forward to their main course. So you'll know people are actually pretty good. People will stop eating when they know it's stop time to stop eating when it comes to canopies initially, and then the main course is the main course, and then desserts. Another good reason for having a dessert bar is that they eat when they want to eat. 
Yeah. You don't have to have a dessert presented in front of you and you don't you know feel the need to actually eat it straight away. Yeah, because I went to a venue visit once and they said to me that they only make up desserts for half the guests because half the guests don't take them. Yeah, you're right. I was shocked uh, by it. Yeah, but you want to be careful because what happens if all the guests do take them? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. People ask what do you do with the leftovers and wedding couples, because people are very conscious of waste these days. Mm. We would always do. So if we're doing, let's say, a wedding for ease of mathematics for 100 people, generally speaking, you know, 70% will go for beef and let's say, you know, um, 20% will go for fish and the remaining 10% go vegetarian. So that's 70 ribeye steaks, 20, um, let's say, fish, you know, fillets, and then 10 vegetarian dishes. I will always have at least 100 steaks. I will always have at least 50 fillets of fish. I will always have at least 30 portions of vegetarian to make sure that we actually have enough. I don't like taking orders in advance. Sometimes you're asked to take orders in advance to make it easier for the kitchen. That's lazy, frankly, you know, because you you don't want people to have to pre-order their food because, A, they'll forget. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? And people say, what do you do with the leftovers? We feed the staff. The staff okay. come in after service and they have a full meal. Every single member of staff. We had an agency down in who were doing our front of house. And I said, right, okay, staff, food time, everybody in the kitchen. And they were like, what? They've never, ever, ever been offered food, this oh. agency, ever. So we do food for the for the guests, yeah, uh, or for the staff, and and you know sometimes wedding couples will say, well, who pays for that? Well, I'm not paying for that. I'm like, no, no, you're not paying for it. That's uh, that's on me, you know, because yeah. I you're only paying for the number of people that we fed on on your bill. Mm. Um, it's up to me to decide what I want to do with my staff, and we look after the staff, and they that's why we have the same staff and consistent staff and really good staff. Mm. And then in terms of when you mentioned about the canapes, we were just talking the other day about how at different weddings we've been to and they've been various like you know say like all in a really high-end venue but some of them you feel like the canapes never stopped and other ones you were kind of starving standing there looking for them Mm. does it differ vastly from venue to venue is there a place you should be standing to make sure you get them (laughs) no stand beside the kitchen door (laughs) the guests shouldn't have to consider that and you're right it does happen sometimes they're just really mean with 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 canapes Mm. Uh, I've been to weddings and they've been mean. I won't name and shame, um, but they're mean. So what we do is <laughs> mean. Do you know what? I hate meanness. I just, in life, yeah, generally, yeah. In generally, let's leaving weddings to one side. Yeah. So we actually come from all sorts of different directions. So we did a kind of a launch party for BT last night, Brian Thomas. It was their nice. men's fashion summer wear launch, right? So there were 250 guests at it. And it was in the complex in Smithfield, which is a lovely, raw, industrial building. It was amazing. The light show, I've never seen anything like it in my life. We had 250 people. We had nearly 1,000 portions of food last night, whether it be like burgers. And this is the same with canopies. You just keep going, right? To produce an extra 20% or 30% is not going to cost you that much more. So don't be mean. Um, yeah. But you want to make sure that everybody has it. And what I do is I'll always say to the waitresses and waiters and the manager, work the room, work the room, start over there, do here. We're lucky that we have, in both venues, we have two entry points. Yeah. So we'll go down the back stairs one of the times and we'll go down the front stairs the next time and we'll literally work the floor. But it's really important to work the floor. Mm. And we actually leave canopies down on pod tables as sure. well. So there's no excuse for people to come back and say, well, I didn't get any canopies. You know, <laughs> no oh, it's excuse. such an elaborate choreography <laughs> you've got going on over there. It kind of has to be. It has yeah. to be. It's it is military precision. Whether mm-hmm. it's a wedding or a private venue or a private party or a corporate event or a launch party or a fashion show last night, it's military precision. You mm-hmm. know, you have to be on top of your game. Yeah. Because you're only as good as your last game. You know, your or your last event. And what are your thoughts on the food truck wedding trend? 
yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, it really depends on the vibe you're looking for. Uh, my friend Nisha got married a couple of years ago, um, and he wanted that whole vibe, and that's the vibe we had. We had a beautiful vintage marquee um, in his neighbor's field in Kilkenny. Um, originally, it was going to be 80 people, and it ended up being 360 people. So we had a pig on <laughs> a spit. Um, we had a huge salad bar. Um, and what we did is we had these beautiful, long, f- trestle farmhouse tables. Uh, there were four long rows in this big marquee. And the weather two years ago, if you can remember, was just beautiful. Mm. So we stayed outside for as long as possible. Um, so that kind of you know food van concept, we kind of did ourselves because I helped him with the food. So we recreated that without having physical food trucks. Mm. Um, you know, and but that is an option and it's a really nice option. It's kinda like, you know, the kind of the festival vibe, electric picnic. Um and for some people that's the vibe. Mm. Personally, I'd probably go with that myself. Yeah. I do so many weddings. I would much prefer to have a festival yeah. for my wedding. Yeah. Actually. And that it's just it's a personal thing. But again, you just have to be careful about your audience. Mm. You know, because you know, your parents' generation. My parents, my dad's 80, 86. I know that he wouldn't enjoy having that kind of an experience, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think you need to be kind of thoughtful enough to know your audience as well. It yeah. would be unfair of me to do that. And he would row in. He wouldn't complain. He'd, you know, he'd, he'd let on that mm. he's enjoying himself. But I think just read your audience and just have a look at your profile of your guests before you make that decision. Because you can always have... And what I recommend sometimes, again, if somebody's on a budget why not have only your nearest and dearest 20 or 30 people for a full a la carte lunch and we're doing this for a wedding shortly so they're they're arriving at one they're arriving at one o'clock they're having the ceremony uh, in in the city center we're then having a meal immediately afterwards but it's only for 30 people and then at six o'clock they're inviting 200 people and we're going to do evening food so we're going to do international food stations and cool. we're going to make it really cool but that means it's not going to cost them as much mm. You know, so there is ways and means around it. But I think you just need to know your audience and and, and decide on the menu based on that. Yeah. We did get a lot of questions from people who are like, food's really important to me, but also budget (laughs) is a concern. (laughs) So that is one great tip to give people. Do you have any others for how, like, is there an area you'd recommend cutting costs? You can't really, to be honest, you can't really cut costs. You can't just ditch canapes, really. No, you can't. You have to have the canapes. Um, again, evening food evening food you have food. to have it you have to have it yeah. but again evening food is not that expensive I mean I charge standard 850 head mm. right? and that's kind of it's soakage but it's really nice soakage and it's not expensive we can't do it for any less than that but the only reason why I do it at that price is because I have the full wedding anyway you know you can't really I mean like in terms of menu I could not do a wedding menu for less than 55 a head I could not do it. It's not feasibly possible. Yeah. Because I know what my costs are. I know what my breakdown of costs are. I know what my margins are. It's really difficult. And my prices go from 55 to 80, depending on how many, you know, choices you have. It's really difficult to get below that. It's really difficult. And if you do manage to get below that, question it. <laughs> yeah. Really. Yeah, like, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I'm lucky that we're very financially driven in terms of the business model. Um, and you know you just have to watch every single penny mm. and weekly like we I'd have like weekly financial you know accounts monthly um, a full P&L on a monthly basis because you could get carried away with yourself and if, if you don't watch your cost base you're not going to be in business for long Yeah. and wedding couples have to be aware of that as well you know we are also in business um, food doesn't have the margin that people expect it to have um, because labour is the is the big cost you know 
um, you know, for a wedding of, of a thousand or so over a hundred people, my labor costs are going to be probably two, two and a half thousand for the day. My labor alone. It's a lot of money, yeah. you know. So in order to get weddings across the line, you might get venues agreeing to it. And that's fine. If they can do it at that, that's fine. But I just, I would question, and this is another thing that comes back. And it, I don't think it happens a lot these days. Take out wedding insurance. It's really important because you don't know what's going to happen down the line. Mm. You know, it's a big investment. It's a big deposit that's been paid. You don't know whether there's going to be an act of God. We had a, a, a situation, was it was it March? Not last year, the year before, where we had really bad snow. Mm. So I had a really nice couple from Offaly, and they were coming up from Tullamore for the wedding, and all of their guests were coming from Tullamore as well. So they are going to be driving, and they had a couple of buses organized. And right up until the morning of the wedding, we were like, will we, won't we, will we, won't we? Now, I was geared up. I had my staff. I had my food prepped, all the rest of it. And the groom rang me at half seven in the morning. And luckily, he was very pragmatic and realistic. He said, listen, Andrew, I spoke to my parents and we're not going to go ahead purely because we have a lot of elderly cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents. And we don't want to put them at risk to driving up to Dublin. So we managed to find another date in September. So they didn't lose their deposit. They didn't, you know, I was lucky that the food prep I did, we could use. I hadn't cooked my meat. I hadn't seared my meat, nothing like that. So it was Mm -hmm. just the veg. I dumped my veg. That was my only thing. The desserts, we gave them to a charitable organization in Dublin because they were already made because we don't buy in desserts. So, yes, it was a loss for me. I didn't recharge that to the couple. But wedding insurance will cover that. Mm-hmm. Um, couples do occasionally break up. I've had two couples break up in probably 10 years. That's all, thankfully. Um, but when they pay a deposit, the deposits are non-refundable for a reason because... Yeah. You know, a wedding venue will give up that date and it's a key date and they're not going to fill it if the wedding is cancelled a month beforehand. So that's important, um, you know, and, you know, I I, I just feel and then, of course, if the venue goes out of business, you know, how are you going to cover yourself? Because you're going to be way down the pecking order. Now, I don't want to scare people. It's not scaremongering because it it does happen and doesn't happen as often as it did in the past before we had NAMA and a lot of the hotels that were doing weddings, it was all NAMA hotels. Uh, and they were safe because it was, you know, government money, so on and so forth. But it's probably important to get insurance. And I don't think it's that expensive. It might be like 100 euro. I might I might be wrong, but I don't think it's any more than that. It's worth it for the peace of mind. I think so, yeah. yeah. I think so. Is there a specific kind of cocktails that you would say are great for a wedding and some that are a no-go? I know, Claire, you had uh, an experience we at your to wedding. to have margaritas, basically. They yeah, said they it's were very taster. rare, to be honest, that we do cocktails because cocktails are expensive. Mm. So again... All weddings, without exception, they're they're not on a budget, but they're they have they have a budget of what yeah. they want to spend, right? So if you start looking at cocktails, cocktails will range from nine to fifteen euro. Mm. So a really good cocktail is handmade; it's not pre-made or yeah. pre-batched. That's going to cost you between twelve and fifteen euro, okay? And it takes time as well. So to make a cocktail with that care and love and attention takes time. So you're not going to get the volume of cocktails out. Mm. What we tend to do uh, for a drinks reception is we'd have a mix of red wine, white wine, bottled beer, Prosecco. Some of the couples would say to me, oh, can we just have a Prosecco reception? I'm like, please don't, because a lot of people don't like Prosecco. Yeah. Personally, I don't like Prosecco. Mm. So you can't force feed people drink. You know, I think give them the option. So red wine, white wine, bottled beer, Prosecco. And pints, that's a really nice option with your soft drinks. And what we tend to do as well, we do kind of like mocktails. So we did a really nice pina colada mocktail recently. It's not expensive to do, but all our reception drinks are the same price. Right? It just makes it easier all around. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to the meal, it's generally half a bottle of wine per person during the meal. It generally doesn't go over that or under that. 
Um, some tables will drink more red than white. And what we do is we swap the bottles. This is another pet hate of mine when you go to a wedding. And the waiters will pour the wine and they'll, and they'll go away with the bottles. Mm. Leave the bottle on the table. The couple <laughs> have paid for it. Yeah. Absolutely. They have yeah. paid, generally, rule of thumb, half bottle of wine per person. Um, and it's just really annoying. And it's a really something that really upsets me when I go to a wedding and you have to keep asking for the wine. Mm. Oh, oh, sorry. And then they're walking away and, they, and, and it's just annoying. So force that on your wedding planner. You mm. have to insist that the wine is left on the table because the only reason why it's taken off the table is that that hotel or venue, and I'm sorry, I'm going to say it, are improving their margins by keeping the wine back. Yeah. Absolutely. There's no other reason why they don't leave it on the tables. There's not, I've done probably, I've done at least 4,000 events since I started this business. I've probably done 350, 400 weddings. There has never been a wedding couple that's turned around to me and say, can you just make sure you don't leave it on the table because we don't want our guests to get too drunk. It's never once happened. So if a, if a party organizer or an event planner or uh, you know um, hotel tells you that it's irresponsible drinking and I would advise you strongly not to put the wine on the table, don't listen to them Yeah. because you've paid for it already. Uh, after dinner, what's really nice, if you go down the road of the dessert bar, so this comes back to the point you raised about, you know, venues will only do about 40% of the desserts if it's yeah. a plate of dessert do really nice cocktails afterwards as part of the dessert bar. So if you have 100 people, you don't need to do any more than 20 or 30 cocktails. But it's a really it's really nice, the visual and the mm-hmm. theatre. Do a lovely espresso martini or do a whiskey sour and have your dessert. So that's what I would recommend. I don't recommend putting money behind the bar. Mm. Um, and a lot of people like to do it, or the father of the bride or the mother of the bride or the groom, they like to do it. Listen, can we put a couple of thousand behind the bar? I don't recommend it because people get complacent um, they'll 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 get a drink, they'll put the drink down, they'll go to the loo, they'll go out for a cigarette, sure. they'll come back in again, and they're like, "Oh, sure, sure it's free booze. I don't have to go and find my yeah, drink." Yeah, they again. don't put the same value in it. No, so I don't recommend it because that's that that two thousand or three thousand can be reallocated into something else. Mm. That can buy the dress. That can pay for the band. So that's what I would always advise. And have you found from Irish? weddings are there particular drinks you need to make sure you stock like I know some people are funny if there's no Guinness at the bar or no Bulmers yeah you, ca- yeah, you have to have Guinness you have to have Bulmers you have to have Heineken you have to have all your spirits you know your you have to have a nice selection of gin as well mm. uh, you have to have a nice selection of tonics um, you know kind of of market tonics as well we do quite regularly for during drinks reception we might do a gin, a gin and tonic infusion or cocktail um, and for that, to make it cheaper, we don't use the kind of the small mixer bottles of Fever Tree. Yeah. We'll use the kind of the, the, the litre bottles or the 750 ml bottles. Mm. It just makes it cheaper. Mm. And you can, do a co- you can do a gin and tonic infusion for, you know, 8.59 euro there. Um, so there are ways and means of, of coming up with really nice kind of, you know, um, menu or um, a selection of drinks for, for guests. Would you have tips for couples who are trying to choose the wine but they themselves are not really big wine drinkers should they kind of take the lead of the venue yeah uh, this this is something that comes up all the time um <clears throat> wine is a really subjective thing mm. um so we have a really nice house wine uh, which is not that expensive nine times out of ten couples will run with that um people do tend to kind of think about wine as a really important component of the day it's actually not okay um as long as it's a good wine and it's drinkable and it's pleasant on the palate and it's not too acidic and it's not, you know, too rich or too heavy bodied, um, I think take the advice of the venue. We don't stock a huge menu of wines or list of wines. We have our house wine. That's it. Occasionally, a guest will say, well, can we have a particular grape or a variety? Uh, and that's fine. Uh, but I don't don't overthink the wines. 
Mm. You know, and I think sometimes people overthink the wine. That's not okay. the most important part of the day because you can get yourself into it into a tizzy. The one piece of advice that I always give wedding couples is don't become overwhelmed. And it is easy to get panicked and stressed, um, but you're not going to enjoy the process. The most important you know, thing to consider is that you need to enjoy the run-up to the wedding so that you're nice and calm and relaxed on the day of the wedding. If you're in any way stressed in the lead-up to the wedding or on the day of the wedding, you're not going to enjoy it. Mm. You're not going to enjoy it. Yeah. And I've had that a couple of times, one in particular last year, where she was so highly strung that she just she just blew up the day before the wedding, before the wedding even started, and she locked herself into her bedroom and wouldn't come out. God. She was so stressed about it. And I kind of get that, um, but again, it's part of my job as a wedding planner, as a wedding venue, to try and give as much confidence to a couple that, mm. listen, you know, we'll look after it. We'll make sure that the day runs without any hitches, um, but enjoy the process. Don't get stressed over wine. Don't get stressed over how many waiters are going to be serving you on mm. the floor, how many bar staff are going to be behind the bar. And I get the question all the time. That's detail you don't really need to consider because it's not in my interest not to have enough bar staff because yeah. I then won't get the revenue. So just be a little bit practical about it. I've 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 had a falling out with one or two couples because we'll get emails at three o'clock in the morning. We'll get emails at ten o'clock in the morning. Why haven't you replied to my email at three a.m. last night? And the most ridiculous questions, you know. And it's it's actually it gets to a point where we just don't enjoy it ourselves anymore mm. because they're just so frantic and they don't trust us. You have to trust the venue. If a if a wedding venue has been in business for a long time. They are in business for a very good reason. Trust them. You know, let them do their job. Don't do their job for you. Because if you annoy them and if you wind them up and if you irritate them, they're just going to despise you. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. That's the reality. Yeah. We'd always advise couples to save up their questions and then yeah. maybe once a month or however often yeah, exactly, send exactly. them all together. And I know that sounds a bit harsh, but that's the reality. You yeah. know? And I do get it that it's a really stressful time and I do get it you're spending a lot of money. I get that. I really do get that. But at the end of the day, we're professionals. Yeah. You know, we know what we're doing. We've done this many, many times before. And do you know what's nice, actually? It's really refreshing. I got an email earlier today from one couple that are getting married this summer. And she's like, I'm so sorry, Andrew, to ask this question. Um, but do you think da 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 da? And I just responded back and I said, absolutely fine. There's no problem asking the question. Absolutely no problem. You know, she didn't want me to think that she was being silly. You know, if you have a question, fine. But what I would suggest is use your notes pad, right? Yeah. And then work out whether or not at the end of the week is that a relevant question because you don't want to be kind of constantly thinking about it and allowing it to become so overwhelming that it takes over your life. Yeah. And that's what will happen, unfortunately, it's with that kind of detail. It's also a good reason to pick good suppliers who you can trust and who yeah, exactly. you just, you book them and then you walk away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what we tend to suggest to wedding couples is that if you're getting married and you've booked your photographer, you've booked your florist, you've booked your band, don't think about it anymore. Mm. Pass on the numbers to us. We get the numbers. We get in contact with them. We talk about delivery times. We talk about drop-offs, storage, collection, the following day, all that kind of stuff. The wedding couple shouldn't have to think about that. They pay a lot of money for their services. Pass it over to us and we'll 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 worry about that detail. That's the key to a relaxed wedding day for a couple, Completely. I think, as well, that you're not going like, what about the flowers? The flowers are done by... There's yeah, a wonderful florist yeah. who's doing that. You, you shouldn't have to think about them and, from and the I start d- to the and end. And I do get that. I do get that. But I think... If a venue's worth their weight, right, they'll have hopefully instilled that confidence at an early stage. Mm, So if that confidence has been instilled, hopefully the wedding couple will then relax. We had one listener ask, what kind of drinks would you pair with barbecue style food? Barbecue style food, to be honest, beers. 
beers and wine, you know. Um, keep it simple. Keep it simple, yeah. Um, once you start kind of extending or expanding the offering, it just introduces in more cost. Because if you're having a barbecue, which is supposed to be relaxed, you don't want to have a full bar, mm. you know. Generally for the day two for barbecues, wedding couples don't always pay for the drinks. Um, but you're better off just having something something fairly basic, you know. Now, I suppose in my case it's different because we have bars in our venues, so they're fully stocked anyway. Mm. But if you're doing a day two, if you're doing a, a wedding at home with your parents, for example, and you're having a marquee, you don't need to stock a full bar, you know. If you're having a dinner party, and, and this is one way of looking at it, you're not going to have a full bar. Yeah. Generally, whenever I go to friends for dinner, there's no spirits. It's just beer or wine. Yeah, yeah. You know, keep it simple. Um, and if you are paying for it, you know, Again, my advice, sometimes people would say, well, listen, shall I go to France and buy the wine? Well, you can, but you have to consider the cost of the ferry, your accommodation, the meals on the way over, the excitement and, and the beers and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. Add that into your equation. Yeah. You know, your best option, and my friend Nisha, this is what I advised him, he said, well, can you buy it through your supplier? But I'm paying VAT, so I'm buying it at X, I pay my VAT on top, and then we have Y. I can't then just give him at that price because that, messes up my margins you know yeah. so what i recommended to him was to go to a kind of a um a kind of a retailer and there are many around the country who do uh offers on bank holiday weekends where you get 25 percent off buy four bottles get one free go to one of these retailers and do your deal and buy your wine through the retailer it's going to be much yeah. cheaper because very often these wines are, are a loss leader mm. they want to get volume by selling more whiskey or gin or vodka and they'll they'll encourage people to step foot into the into the shop uh, buy discounted the wines hugely. So that's where you buy your wine. That's where you buy. Buy your beers through, don't go to the wholesaler, go to your supermarket because the supermarkets discount as well. So yeah. the supermarkets discount certain loss leaders in order to get extra volume on other high margin lines. Yeah. So that's the thing to do. Great tip. Watch out for the brochure that comes through the letterbox. That's with it. The, that's uh, it. That's with that's the it. offer for the following weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And another listener asked us about what kind of volume of non-alcoholic drinks should you supply? They have a DIY wedding venue. So I'm guessing like a marquee wedding. Yeah, you don't need... I mean, I think for... It's nice to do a, a mocktail. So the pina mm. colada mocktail I was telling you about earlier is, is really nice. We did a kind of like a mocktail, which is like a whiskey sour, similar flavours. That was really nice. And then you can have, you know, your low-calorie, low-sugar content um, soft drinks, as well as one brand called uh, London Essence, uh, which actually doesn't have to pay the sugar tax because it's under uh, the threshold. Uh, how clever. I have a nice selection of soft drinks, mm. for sure. Are there any big trends you've been noticing in wedding food, or do you, like, veer massively away from food trends? No, food trends are fine. Um, I've Some of the food that we've done, let's say for the cocktail party format, would be... Mexican street food. We've done a couple of Irish Brazilian weddings, so we've done some of the food Brazilian, some of the food would be Irish. I've got an Indian Irish wedding coming up, so some of the food would be Indian. And again, what we do is I do Indian street food as part of the canapes and the evening foods. So that's kind of cool. You know, there are trends like the kind of, you know, donuts and you've got your Mexican burritos mm. and, you know, they are trends. Um, and again, it's nice to have them, but I don't think it really relates to weddings. Mm. Food trends don't tend to coincide or verge or crash into wedding menus actually I've never experienced that really because people want tradition and safe yeah. when it comes to wedding food actually mm. and obviously you wrote a book all about food and entertaining yes um, what are your tips for the couple on how to be a good host I think 
consider, um, you know, you're going to know the, the dynamics of your friends, right? You're going to know, are they well-traveled? Are they sophisticated? Do they like good food? Take all of that into account um, when coming up with some, you know, a creative menu, so to speak. But don't think too much outside the box because there's going to be a lot of people at that wedding, albeit maybe only 5 to 10%, who are outside the age profile whereby, you know, there's an expectation, and we spoke about this earlier, that I want a mammy's dinner. I want mm. me meat and two veg. Mm. You have to consider that as well. Um, but I think you just need to be kind of like open-minded enough not to be too enthusiastic about thinking outside the box um, and erring on the side of a little bit conventional. Mm. So just, I think you just have to be careful. But again, wedding couples, the main priority for them is for their guests to enjoy the day. Food, yes, is an important part of the entertainment is as well. Mm. You know, the after party is an important part of it as well and getting that entertainment mix right. Sometimes people would say to me, you know, should I not bother with a DJ? Can't we just use a playlist? Absolutely not. It's completely the wrong thing to do because the more hammered people get, oh, I'll use my iPhone. Oh, I'll, I'll plug my iPhone in. Yeah, I've been in the middle of that. It's not pretty. It's not. It's not. It's not. And, and actually, it, it just takes away from the vibe. A really good DJ, you know, and this is a, an important thing to consider, he'll or she, she or he will notice when the party's taking a little bit of a nosedive. Mm. And then it's their job to bring it back up again. And what you don't want is for people to feel, oh, God, I'm just ready to go home now, or I want to go to a nightclub. You know, so it's really important to get a really good DJ. Andrew, this has been a dream. Thank you so much. My pleasure. No, I'm d- delighted to be here, actually. But I'm exhausted now. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of questions. Yeah. So for more information on weddings at Medley or Ballantubbert, visit medley.ie or ballantubbert.com. One fab day. Listener Dilemmas. We love helping you guys with your etiquette, style, family and supplier related wedding woes, which is why each week we raid our inbox to pull out a listener dilemma and try to solve it. Claire, you've got our listener letter this week and it's about destination weddings, I believe. It is. So this listener writes in, I was wondering if you have any advice for me. I'm getting married abroad later this year. I was quoted crazy money for hair and makeup. So I decided to ask my hairdresser and makeup artist from home to come as covering her flights, accommodation and fee is still less than the quotes I got. I'm meeting her next week to discuss details and I just want to be as prepared as possible. What do you think needs to be covered by us? I don't want to have a legal contract with solicitors, but I do want some sort of agreement so that I know I can depend on her. Would you have any advice or experience on this? So I know when Lindsay came into us to talk about destination weddings, she did say that in certain countries, hair and makeup is at an absolute premium and it can be cheaper to fly in your own professionals. So, yeah, I don't think that's an outlandish thing to do. No, not at all. And I think it's one thing that you really want to be secure about on the day because... You'll have wasted money on a wedding photographer if you hate your face in every single photo. I think that's a fair uh, summary. In terms of what will need to be covered, I think, bear in mind that every makeup artist and hairstylist would be different. Some people will probably charge a lot extra because it doesn't make sense for them Mm -hmm. financially or business-wise to do a lot of destination weddings. So they probably will put a cost on that makes it prohibitive. Yeah, because even if they're just working on your wedding for a day, the day either side they can't work and won't have an income. Yeah. Um, So don't be surprised if it's more than you expect that they've added on. They might have to do that because of the way they run their business. But you will be expected to pay for, I would say, um, flights, accommodation, and any transport and meals um, Mm -hmm. for like the duration of their trip, which, yeah, will probably... If it's a destination wedding, it won't just be 24 hours. It'll be more like three days. 
Yeah, I think as well when you're chatting to her, let her know about the expectations, how many people she'll be doing hair and makeup for. And that whether or not, if that's one person who's doing all the hair and makeup, whether that's feasible, that they can cover everyone and how long that will take. Um, Bear in mind as well, when you are paying for flights, there will be kit. So Mm. there'll be luggage expenses as well. Um, In terms of a contract, I know that generally hair and makeup teams are quite casual not necessarily like a venue where you would expect to have a contract yeah so I think just following up in writing and making sure that you have everything written down in email afterwards is probably the safest way to do it if they're your hair makeup person from home they're probably reliable I guess you just have to be really candid and be like can I rely on you if I book the flights are you going to turn up and chances are like there's not going to be any hassle if you already know them yeah if you have been recommended them they've got good credentials and testimonials you can be safe enough that they don't want to have a terrible review somewhere of them online they're not going to want to to screw over any other couples um and you know i agree with the email thing i think that's sufficient for one of the smaller suppliers at the end of the day it's always about going with someone you trust so as long as you trust them you're in safe hands and then don't worry about it anymore yeah pick someone you have a good rapport with and get a good vibe off and i think you've made the right decision say hello to a new era of mental health care cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100 online you'll experience the all-new cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. I love this man and there's no way that I'm going to give him up to some two-faced, big-haired food critic. Now for something... That's not your wedding. While you may have hit your wedding planning stride, it's always wise to take some time away from the spreadsheets to decompress and forget all about bridesmaids' dresses and bunting. For this very purpose, we recommend a new non-wedding thing to do every week. So, Selena, what have you got for us today? So, today I'm recommending essential oils. Nice. Now, I was always going to turn into an essential oil person. <laughs> I'm the worst got kind. The vibe. <laughs> yeah, I've got the vibe. I'm the worst kind of hippie who like really buys into some new agey things and really judges other new agey things. Fair. But essential oils, I've been threatening to get into them. Um, now that I'm pregnant, it's a whole thing and uh, apparently they're helpful in labour and everything. And which money have you so far invested in your essential okay, oil habit? 120 euro. That's... I but mean, I'm, that includes a diffuser, right? It includes a diffuser. It's everything I will need, basically a start-up kit. Cool. Now, I'm aware that they're expensive, right? Because, and also, you're planning your wedding. I don't want to be giving you a really expensive hobby. <laughs> but you did. You don't have to go to that length. I could have gotten away with starting with maybe 40 quid. Yeah. Um, and why I want to recommend this is because I didn't realize this. Because, again, I'm just not new-agey enough to realize this. But a lot of health shops actually have a homeopath 
that are in store that you can go in and chat to and that's what I did which is really helpful and you can go in and I mean okay she obviously got me to spend quite a lot of money but some people have restraint and uh, won't be talked into it Uh, but you can go in and ask them and they will help you so if your thing might be for example relaxing in the day up to the wedding day Mm -hmm. you can go into a homeopath with the exact things you're hoping to achieve and they'll really really help you like come up with a combo that'll work so if it's something to do with the wedding prep like you want to be relaxed during wedding planning or you want to have a good sleep the night before the wedding Mm. these are all questions you can put to them and again listen I'm not saying that it's like a one (laughs) fix all solution for these things also I haven't read any studies on essential oils (laughs) I don't know how proven they are but personally I find it helps when you even if it's a placebo effect yeah it helps to know listen well I've done my bit I've got the lavender in the diffuser so I'm going to be relaxed and sometimes that is all you need to mentally actually allow yourself to relax yeah a little bit of self-care time yeah I think as a as a self-care thing you could get a lot worse than essential oils come with me to the homeopath next time <laughs> see if you can get a discount for me I'll bring my debit card <laughs> the one fab date wedding podcast that's all from us on this week's episode of the One Fab Day Wedding Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. As we mentioned on last week's show, we'll be taking a break in a few weeks' time while we go have our babies. But in the meantime, we would love it if you could share the podcast with anyone you know who might find it helpful. You can also rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. It really does give us all the feels to read your feedback. And as always, don't forget to pay us a visit over at onefabday.com. The site isn't going anywhere and we'll continue to have daily real weddings, bridal collections, checklists, inspirational features, planning features and more to guide you through your wedding planning. The One Fab Day Wedding Podcast. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.